Hello and welcome to Ruby Rogues, the the best Ruby podcast in the world. Here today on the Ruby Rogues podcast, we have John Epperson. Hey everybody. Darren Bromer. Greetings and salutations. And our special guest today, all the way from the Netherlands, is Van der Hillen, a software developer and Ruby blogger who has written a great post about the Ruby Free Fiber Scheduler interface. So we're going to be diving deep, deep into the internals of the MRI and find out all the exciting things that the new Ruby scheduler can do. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. Now, Sandra, I don't think a lot of people know what a Ruby scheduler is because it's not something you do in Rails. At no point in Rails do you have to mess with the scheduler, do you? So we're kind of getting into niche, niche hidden parts of Ruby. Is that correct? Well, yes, you're entirely correct. And in fact, like the, the fiber scheduler is both New and not in real. So right now it is uh, it is niche and it is something that most Ruby developers will not have to actively deal with. But I think that's going to change in the in the hopefully not in the near future. And that's that's what uh, what we're here to talk about. I think you're right, and the reason I think you're right and people will care is because it has a direct impact on the asynchronous tasks. And as we all know, the CPUs are not getting any faster. If anything, the CPUs are getting slower or moving to ARM cores, but they are getting more parallel. So making your rails a bit more asynchronous can vastly increase your performance and uh, hardware efficiency. Yeah, that's that's right. Like one of the things that a lot of people like don't actively think about in my experience when i talk about these things it's like you have during the the handling of like for example in in just reels like if you have a web request like so much of that is just your cpu just sitting around and waiting and like actively doing nothing like first you have connection coming in but then you know you have a little bit of activity at the start and you have to route it, uh, but then you have to wait for the, the rest of the request to come in. And at the speed that modern computers can can work, the network interface is really, really slow. So it's it's like you know, get you know, get me the homepage or post to this form. And by the time all that this this data has finally trickled in off the network connection, you can uh, Rails could have been doing a lot of interesting other things. And you know, but these days, usually it it doesn't. It just sits there waiting for this very slow request to come in, and then it goes off to the to the database. It's just more waiting, and then when it finally has the results, it needs to send it out. There's even more waiting, and so like so much of what your computer is doing is just waiting, and that's 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 waste. That's stuff that it could be doing something else. I just want to make one real quick clarification. So. It's- 
speak for yourself because my rail server, when it's sitting around waiting, is mining Bitcoin. So I just wanted to throw that out there. So it's not it's not completely wasted. Ah, yes, but does your uh, Bitcoin miner run in Ruby? <laughs> no, I'm just being I'm just being a little bit facetious with you. Yeah, I think what one of the things that I wanted to dive into a little bit, and Luke got into this kind of already, is that in my experience, and you know, I've been doing programming for quite a while. Getting threaded, any kind of threaded programming right, correct, and having it really be robust is really, really hard. It's really challenging to get right. And that's no no offense to anyone in this group or in the audience, right? It's just, a, myself included, a very difficult thing to do. So, yeah, I am very interested to, to kind of dive into more how you see kind of the everyday Rubyist using this capability and like you mentioned, using the schedule, you'd like to see that change. How can we make that more accessible to the everyday Rubyist? Right now, a lot of these things are taken care of for you by frameworks and libraries. But what's your what's your view on that? Well, yeah, I like like you say, and I agree completely. Concurrent programming is like tricky. It, it's uh, it's really like most of it. It's ninety nine percent of it is just straightforward, and then just when you, when you're sort of relaxing and you think, ah, now it works, then then it suddenly doesn't, and you don't know why, and everything sort of just blows up. And I think one of the best parts about Ruby and about Rails uh, is that it sort of takes a lot of things that used to be, you know, pretty tricky, like authentication or good database access that. There are a ton of high-quality libraries that sort of take take this trouble away from you and just do it. You know, there, there's a lot of engineering that goes into it, but once it's it's correct and it sort of stays correct. I think that's one of the best parts about the Ruby ecosystem. And what you've seen in the, the concurrency scene, especially about Ruby, like when Ruby was first created, I think, you know, concurrency wasn't as much a thing as it was now. It was like the 1990s. Uh, you know, computers were still uh, doubling in speed every few years. If you had a dual core, that was like you know the most impressive computer you'd ever seen. And you know, so concurrency wasn't wasn't really as much a thing as it is uh, these days. One of the of the things that I think Lucas already mentioned is like you have concurrency and parallelism is way more a thing these days. And people have been struggling to to sort of get a good grip on it. In particular, like you can you could see that with, uh, for example, Node.js, which said, well, you know, one core is all you need. Computers are fast, but doing things concurrent, callbacks is like all you need. And then eventually they figured out ah, callbacks is not ideal. You in a, in a little bit more off the beaten path, you had the Haskell people and the Erlang people that had their own like green threading that would automatically be managed by the language runtime, but it's also not ideal and tricky to get right. And you get, you, you uh, sort of have to make a lot of accommodations in your language to sort of make it work seamlessly. Then Golang came along, which did a lot of things right. And uh, you can really see a lot of yeah other language runtimes that say, like, this is a really good idea. We want that too. And I think that's really where the fiber scheduler comes from, because it will take... The, the, the fibers that have been in Ruby for quite a long time, since Ruby 2.0. And then says, like, we want to use this way more. This is a super powerful concept, but it's just too difficult to use. What what they you know, what the scheduler is all about is that it will take a lot of the complexity out of your hands and put that inside a dedicated piece of high tech that will just do the difficult stuff so that you can focus on what's, you know, what you really care about. 
So we've talked a few times about the, we've talked about reactors, we've talked about like the potential of fibers and like there's a few things that are trying to take advantage of it. Uh, I think it's Falcon for, I think the big one that I know about the new web server or whatever, but like until, until everybody implements fibers in all their libraries, like you're just not going to get the benefit as like a regular user, right? Like, but, but there's like promise, right? So we've talked a few times about this stuff and I, I feel like, like one of the difficult things is saying, okay, this is really, really cool. Like, I, I love talking about this stuff, but like, how does this affect me? And I think that's kind of the question that Darren was like trying to ask. And I think that you, uh, in your article, like you mentioned like a couple of things that I found interesting in this regard. Mm-hmm. So like one of the things that I find interesting is, uh, so you talk a lot about non-blocking IO and I, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about this, which is where I'm going. Most of my interactions with non blocking IO is using uh, or trying to use like what is it like pop pop in or p open three or whatever you know and you're just like you you run it in testing everything's like super great you open files close files or whatever and then you like you go to production and like boom stuff is like broken and you like dig in and you're just like oh well there's like some i don't know there's like it's something to do with like there's blocking when there's not supposed to be blocking or whatever and there's nothing they can do about it like blah blah and you're just like dang it like anyway that's that's my life experience is mostly reading about it yeah, on no, threads you're, and you're i'm just like just like abandon it no, <laughs> go ahead you, should, you shouldn't abandon it. like i i've run a set into those problems like many times of course and like what you i, I think like the, the real problem uh, was like a little bit early on what you said is that you have some things that are blocking and some are non-blocking. And there's this this whole, like, there was an extremely famous article about, you know, red functions and green functions, how they don't, can never mix. And, yeah, that was really the problem. Like, everyone has to sort of switch to fibers first before they can really, you know, reap the benefits. And that is, that is one of the key improvements in Ruby 3.0, I think, is that a few people uh, they they went through the whole code base and like if you look at all these these functions where the, the IO actually happens, the um, you know there's there's not that many because you know even you know, uh, writing a web response or reading from database or you know whatever it in the end in MRI it is basically all just reading and writing to IO objects. So if you can insert Good hooks into io.read, io.write, kernel.sleep, and there's there's a few more. Then you basically have every use case covered because every language that does io eventually, maybe twenty layers down the, the call stack, but they eventually call read or write, and that's that's all that happens. So if you add your hooks in there, you cover every layer. The coolest part, I think, about the the fiber schedulers and uh, these these hooks that they make use of is that you get them for free. They have already been implemented, and they they you know should work for every library out there. And in practice, because I know someone is going to to ask about this, and no, it doesn't work with Rails yet. But that's that's definitely something that people are interested in, of course. Good catch on that. So. All right. So, so talking about this, like my understanding from what you wrote is that basically, I mean, really at the end of the day, the, the quick summary of like what my problem really is underneath is it's like I'm writing basically a single threaded program that is like delegating to a thing that's trying to handle 
some that's it, doing some asynchronous stuff right because i'm like basically opening a uh you know a stream or whatever and and i it, it's not correctly handling like all of the events that are being caused by the system call or whatever i don't it's been a little while and i'm totally pulling this off the top of my head so my apologies for my vagaries here but but my understanding based off of reading your article is like some one of the benefits of fibers is that like wrapping things like this is is just straight up better like to put it succinctly yes like well, yeah, i guess yeah, what i'm trying to say is yeah, sorry i'll try and rephrase my question hopefully that'll be okay. better yeah so basically it kind of sounds like from what you're saying like wrapping all the reading and the writing the asynchronous threads that are like going on in like dealing with streams and things like that wrapping all that stuff in fiber constructs is theoretically going to give me like better behavior yes that yes that is how it should work and the reason it does that is that whenever you know, the runtime de detects that you're going to be do to be doing nothing for a while, then it says like you know do I have any other uh, work that I could be doing? And if that's the case, then it will start doing that work instead to swap back to your original thread of execution or fiber of execution in this context when when that one can be run again. So instead of a lot of threads that have to be managed by the operating system, and that will take a lot of you know, resources, uh, memory, CPU all by itself, you can now have uh, the Ruby runtime manage these things. And you know, that, that will theoretically give you a better, a better result because the Ruby runtime knows a lot more about your program than the operating system because the operating system has to be super general. It doesn't know anything about Ruby, it it needs to be able to run any program in any language, and because Ruby is is you know, Ruby, it knows all about Ruby objects and about uh, Ruby operations. So it can be way more specialized and way more effective in in sort of scheduling and determining what what is the most effective thing to do right now. If that makes any sense. So I think so because it's it's not as far away from the from the program as the operating system sort of has to be it can be more dedicated and more specialized. So I'm excited for the fiber version, version of PO3 then. So yeah. let me... So, oh, sorry, yeah, there. No, that's okay. Let me give you my mental model of this and then you can tell me if it's correct or not. So when I think about, let, let's compare it to virtual machines, VMs. That's a, a fairly, well, not heavyweight resource, but we've, we're used to that as compute capacity. And now we've kind of grown more into containers, which are essentially just an operating system process. So it's an order of magnitude more lightweight and faster to start up. And you can have many more of them running more efficiently. In, in my Now I compare that to threads, which are, again, so now we're going a little bit level down, but the, I think the analogy still holds is that a thread is using an operating system resource, but now we're talking about a fiber, which is even more lightweight than that, right? Because it doesn't actually, strictly speaking, use the operating system level resource. It's simply managed by Ruby, like you said. So we can have many more of them. They can be more efficient in terms of the Ruby context and the, the Ruby language runtime. And so that is, I think, where we were using the technical term earlier that it's uh, it gives us more goodness or it's better. Is that a accurate or even even close to a good mental model of the difference when we talk about why 
why fibers are beneficial. Yeah, I really like that that comparison. I think you put that really well into words. Basically, you just get more for less, or rather the same amount of, of throughput for less machine resources in, in however you want to measure that. So overall efficiency uh, will, will, you know, rise. And there are a couple of, of things, of course, that, you know, where the analogy breaks down. You can run basically any program in a container that will also run in a VM. And in practice, fibers, as they are implemented in Ruby 3.0, you know, they they still have some of the of the things that Ruby in general will have to deal with. So, for example, if you have as a very uh, it's a very poor comparison, but Ruby garbage collection is top the world. So if it, if it starts collecting things, then then your program won't run. And if you have if you go up a level from your comparison, like if you would run your program in in multiple processes, even then you could have still throughput while one of them is garbage collected. And that's something where already if you're using threads, then you know garbage collection stops the world for, for a few hundred milliseconds, depending on how big your uh, your memory is. And so you have a you know the closer you get, the closer you get. The biggest upside is also the biggest downside. So. Yeah, I don't I don't think right. I don't think uh, anybody's saying fibers are a panacea. They don't they don't cure all of the problems that we might have. But some of the issues you describe, garbage collection, things like that. I think regardless of where your code is running, you can always run into those items and and be impacted i guess and and it's not a perfect analogy but like all all other things being equal though that sounds to me like some of the some of the main benefits that you get yeah for sure they are just a lighter weight alternative to threads that is 99 percent escapable for you know 10 percent of the cost right so and because a lot of the frameworks like rails or other libraries that we use are doing some of this heavy lifting for us they're doing the thread management or the parallel the handling of parallel requests, then I guess that kind of brings us back to that question. Are we kind of as kind of your average Rubyist or developer, are we kind of subject to waiting for some of these frameworks and libraries to adopt this, uh, adopt the use of fibers, or are there other things that we should look um, at in the meantime? Well, I I think you can already run a large percentage of websites on, on the Falcon web server, which uses fibers uh, very heavily. I happen to know that, uh, for example, even in Rails, like like you say, uh, the reason uh, the fiber scheduler doesn't operate well with Rails at the moment is because Rails is pretty heavy uh, local state for threads. So that's a yeah, that's a downside, where because multiple fibers live in one Ruby thread, they will sort of think they're in the same Rails request basically. And then all your requests start bleeding into each other, and there's there's just tears everywhere. It's it's terrible. So that that is one thing that that doesn't quite work. But you you see, like the Rails people, they are they are not stupid, and they they see that I, the same amount of benefits for for less resources. That's something we want, and asynchronous operation and more concurrency is also something they want. So slowly but surely, they are they are working towards making this possible, and it's it's something they've done before. Because because you know, back in the day, like maybe some of the older people uh, know that there was this huge push to make Rails multi-threadable. Because before that, it was everything in a single process. And oh no, I can't run Rails in Puma, and you know everything will will blow up. 
And yeah, now now it's just a sort of next cycle in the evolution. Actually, now that I think about it, sorry, uh, yeah, but there's in, I think, Rail 6.1 or 6.2, I saw a really cool feature coming by that that was basically something for active record uh, where they say, like, you, you can do, like, my model dot, uh, you know, where some condition uh, dot load async. And this load async would then sort of do your, your database request in somewhere off to the side in a, in a dedicated thread pool for, for these things. And the advice of usage of this feature was that you could do like one database request and the first you do load async and the second one you just do straight up. Uh, and they would sort of run in parallel and then come back at around the same time. And so if you have a controller that, that does two very separate queries, then you can just do these in parallel and, uh, and gain some time. I think that that sort of thread pool off to the side that does stuff, uh, how do you say, I.O. intensive stuff that's mostly waiting. This is just the dream use case for fibers, right? So that is something that is a place in Rails that would benefit a ton, I think, from uh, from fibers. Uh, so, you know, I'm not in the Rails core team, but I can't imagine that they haven't thought of this themselves. Yeah, that's so one of the things that always strikes me about these conversations, right? Is that it, you talk about the benefits of threading and then you you suddenly realize that like, oh, well, the API for using this kind of sucks. I feel like it, and that's like, that always feels like that's like the big hangup, right? Is like, well, it's not easy to use. I just want to write stuff. Like, because we think about everything is as a sequence of events. Like, and so we write our code like a sequence of events. And that's how almost all of our APIs are written. And I always feel like, the 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 big struggle is is sort of like i don't know even when you're talking to somebody about threading right like we're we're thinking about okay well now i just have two threads that are running a sequence of events right like and so everyone's mm-hmm. just thinking about it that way and all of our apis are written that way and i was just thinking about as you were talking about the async thing right like i literally am gonna have to say okay do this one on the side i'm gonna run this one in line and then I'll like sync them back up together, right? Like I'm having to manage all of that yeah. as a verse to just being able to like, all right, I just want to run these 10 things and I want them to all get run in parallel. Like, I mean, you can do that. I mean, we, we already have threading stuff to do that or whatever, but like there there are definitely some use not cases reach for that. Very yeah, often. there are definitely some use cases that kind of easily fit into this pattern, right? And I think you just, just mentioned one, which is a scatter gather. I need to do a number of different queries and I'm just retrieving just like independent data and I'm going to put them all together and return a result. That's pretty easy to reason about. But yeah, John, I agree with you. Like in a lot of the use cases where we're developing, it's it's, it's much harder to reason and think through the our problems that way that we're solving. It's much easier to think of them in a linear fashion. And so I think given the, the right use cases to apply this, it's great. Then there's going to be others where it's going to be a little a lot more challenging to do that. How do we practically make that uh, accessible and 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 actually in the end make the whole thing faster, make our service faster and also maintainable as well. And you're going to have to get rid of all those thread.current.user calls that you made. You know, let's be honest, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's going to be a problem with all the fibers running around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was actually talking with uh, if we're talking about like real life use cases. I was talking with uh, someone at the, at the local Ruby meetup, and one of the like. They, they made the, the, the very sort of pointed observation that they're background workers, like whether it's sidekick or skewer or, you know, whatever, they're not actually working that much. Like some of them are, don't get me wrong, but a lot of them, like 
you know, at, at the company I currently work for, we have an entire cluster and like 99% of what it does is API calls and, and sending out mails. And that's fine, right? Like that I, if I would have to guess, I think the majority of, of Rails background workers actually just like API and, uh, and mail waiters. And, and they just wait. That That is another thing that uh, I think is, is a really good use case for fibers because, you know, why have a sidekick with like five or 10 or maybe even 20 threads? And all of these threads are just waiting for your, your mail API to come back with like, yeah, yeah I definitely sent your mail. You know, you if you do that with a, a, a fiber-based worker, 20 concurrent fibers is absolutely nothing. I've, I've run tests with like 10,000 fibers concurrently on the machine. And, and you know, it it's, doesn't even sweat. It doesn't even get above, like, you know, the the, the memory use of, of uh, Spotify or something. Okay, that's a, that's a bad example. It's an electron app, but... <laughs> I mean, I... You know, I you you make a good point that and i think that is another category of use case that fits into this well which i would kind of describe as service or or microservice orchestration where i need to do a task and that involves me calling out to a number of other services you know mm-hmm. i'm sitting there waiting request for response and that that sounds to me like a perfect use case for fibers i could do run many of those within a ruby process and with, without any trouble and that's going to be more common right as more and more people move to service-oriented architectures that will be more likely come up more more often. I definitely, so Mike Burham's always been like on the forefront, right? Of like threading technology and being like, oh, this gives me a benefit. Let me just add this into Sidekick or whatever, right? Like, so I kind of, I definitely am just kind of like, all right, well, he'll just show up one day with a new version of Sidekick that does fibering. It'll be fine. Or rastering or whatever he thinks, like he'll he'll write a blog article and be really sweet. And he's going to just tell us, this is this is what I think is going to work best for Sidekick. At least that's what he's always done in the past, I feel like. so. Yeah, you want it to be easy to do the right thing. And if, there, <laughs> if the right thing is, I just upgrade my version of Sidekick, <laughs> that's the best way to do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't mean that. I just, I, I have a lot of respect for Mike Forum, right? And I've always felt like in the past, he's just been at the forefront. So, and it's just been awesome. So I, I just assumed that once, once he had the time and it, he'd figure out what seemed the best way to go. No doubt. And if he does it, someone will compete against him because that'll happen. But yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's true. Um, although I do have to say that it is kind of tricky because... You know, I can see why some of these things are, uh, like, especially when you have really CPU-heavy tasks, and they don't come up too often in, in like, real-space applications, but every once in a while, you have just this one endpoint that does a ton of work and, you know, maxes out CPU. And that is, like, as of yet, just just not a real good case, uh, not a good use case for fibers, because, uh, because they are cooperative multitasking. If one thread is of one fiber is not behaving well, then it can just sort of hog all the time and never give back its thread of execution. But that is something I think before we will just see a real wide-scale ex- uh, adoption of fibers that it's something that will be or will need to be tackled. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software And what makes it so unique is that it not only tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. 
Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit Raygun.com to resolve issues faster and deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's Raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. So that's a good call out. So the starvation problem that you mentioned where one fiber kind of goes, <laughs> I was going to say goes off the rails, no pun intended, <laughs> that might have, where it, it chews up the CPU. Is there, there's no guardrail there essentially to protect the other fibers? Will, will they eventually just get starved out at this point? Or I, I'm guessing probably that's yeah. the case because there's not an operating system there to protect against that, but I'm not, not sure. Just yeah, put that, everything that's... in a timeout. That's the trick. Just use set timeout everywhere and problem solved. Timeout. It's great. It's a great Ruby call. Use timeout in your code today. Mm-hmm. Don't believe the haters. People will talk about not using timeout in Ruby. They're just flat out wrong. Got, I got timeouts everywhere and my code is always quick. Quick to crash? I'd say quick right. to hit the timeout. Do you set the timeout like really short? <laughs> it's it's a truly exceptional part of a Ruby language. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that everyone everyone's like silently fuming at this moment. Um, <laughs> no, this, well, uh, is, this is, I mean, Darren, you called this a starvation problem. This sounds to me more like the opposite of a starve. Isn't this a kind of a greed, a kind of greed problem you're describing where one fiber yeah. goes rogue and kind of eats all the CPU? Yeah, one fiber is greedy yeah. and everyone else starts. That's right. <laughs> yeah, well, so... Uh, I'm I'm gonna uh, shamelessly plug my own blog here. Actually, the function you want is not uh, not set timer, but it's a C function. It's called uh, timer underscore set time. It's a and it's a Linux syscall. So you know because so Darren mentioned the starvation problem and he hits the, the nail right on the head. Like if you have a fiber that's that's not behaving, then then it will just not not give back its slot, uh, all the other fibers in your system will just wait there and never be scheduled. And uh, once again, you know, tears everywhere, people crying, it's, it's, it's not a fun time. So, but what you can do, and this is, a, you know, I was just playing and I'm like, that's really bad. Like, I don't want all my, my fibers to just sit around and do nothing. Like, what, what can I do? So at the time, I was also working on a, on a pull request for, oh, shock and awe, Ruby, Ruby fanatics cover years for another language that was basically making this uh, this exact type of system. So I was like, hmm, maybe I can just steal that solution and, and put it in MRI. So there's basically two types of solutions for this. One of them is the, what I like to call the Erlang solution, is that they have a, a concept called reductions. And every, I, I don't know the exact number, but let's say every thousand function call that a, a fiber makes, the runtime will check if it still has any function calls uh, remaining. And if it doesn't, then it gets it doesn't get continued, but it, it gets scheduled out. So that's a, a natural way to limit how long a fiber can run. So I tried to make that. It was it was uh, you know very easy to make because Ruby is an interpreted language. It's, it's really, you you can monkey patch everything. It's amazing. So I'm, I tried to monkey patch the the send function. Uh, that didn't work, but there were there were some MRI internal APIs that I could hook into. But in the end, that wasn't really that great. It worked, 
and you you could have really poorly behaved fibers that would you know after their their amount of methods uh, was used up they would get scheduled out and all the other fibers would be scheduled again so that worked really well but it was like five times slower than uh, than before so i was like ah, that's probably not worth it and then later i realized that there's also another way of doing things and this is the the way that that uh, languages like golang and that haskell uh, use this they ask the operating system like you know in this amount of milliseconds it differs a little bit between languages in this amount of milliseconds can you please you know sort of send me an interrupt so that i know to do stuff that also works so you would tell uh, linux in my case you know in 50 milliseconds can you give me an interrupt and then you install an interrupt handler in MRI that will schedule out the current fiber. And that that, uh, that worked surprisingly well. Like the overhead was super low. It was like 3% slower than the, the pure, the Erlang version. Uh, not the Erlang version, the, the, the basic uh, version without any interrupting. I just made a very long uh, computation, ran it without any interrupting and with interrupting and compared to time. So it was 3% slower, uh, but it didn't have any fiber uh, starvation problems. And I thought that was that you know, was decent, especially because you can switch it on per fiber. So if you have a fiber that you know might be bad, then you can turn it on just for that fiber. And all the ones that you know will be fast, you can just not even pay the 3%. Where can we get hold of this? Nowhere yet, because after that, I got engaged. Oh, in, uh, vaporware. Vaporware. Uh, there, there's a very good <laughs> proof of concept on the, well, it's it's not vaporware. You can see the code online. It's on my blog and on the on the repo on GitHub. It's just not real quality production grade. Yeah, just tell them it's been alpha or a beta release. It's just not, that's all. It's not vaporware. <laughs> so this is, this, this is the preemptive uh, fiber concurrency post, yes? Yeah, yeah that's the... So just one thing that like I immediately thought about when we first kind of went down this rabbit hole in the first place is, so obviously if the CPU is being tagged the whole time, that can starve other things. But I was kind of thinking about like the most common case that we have in Ruby, which is memory usage, right? So I feel like things that use a lot of memory are going to, I mean, they typically use more CPU, but they're, they're not necessarily like going to uh, completely use up my CPU? Like, is there, uh, is there a tendency for fibers to be more or less performant with that? Or is that kind of like unknown or just by use case by use case? I was kind well, of thinking, I, go ahead. I hesitate a little bit to say like, no, it will definitely be better because whenever I I tried something like that in the past and then someone comes up with like the absolute worst case, you can imagine. And so I, I won't say no always, but if you have a fiber-based solution for something then it will usually and with usually i'm, I'm gonna bet like at least 90 percent of the times it will be better memory wise than the thread based solution although as always careful profiling will save your life yeah absolutely i i, I was specifically thinking from the other direction which would be like so if i have something that's memory intensive right mm-hmm. like oh so we were t- i'm sorry let me rephrase the question again. So the original thing that we were talking about was things that are CPU intensive, right? Or basically CPU blocking pretty much, right? Like those kinds of things tend to perform less well with fibers. And I was kind of thinking things that are like memory blocking, right? Like those kinds of things are, I feel like they're going to be more CPU intensive generally because you got a lot of stuff going in and out of RAM, therefore lots of CPU usage or whatever. But 
not necessarily that might not be cpu blocking at the same time it's memory blocking so mm. I, I see what you mean yeah um well in in this case and that's it's the most terrible answer sorry but it depends and and here's here's kind of why so perfectly valid there is um if you have a ruby thread is mapped one-to-one an operating system thread and so it will have all the associated you know, machinery that an operating system thread will have. So it will have thread local state, it will have its own call stack. Whenever you make a new one, a large portion of that call stack is already allocated. Once again, this depends a little bit on your operating system, but all in all, they tend to be fairly heavy on the, on the memories. Now, a fiber itself is very very lightweight it's just a ruby object with a, a couple of other uh, you know small things attached like it does have its own call stack but they don't allocate a lot of memory for that up front it's very lightweight memory and the so here's here's kind of the where the trade-off comes in if you have a lot of threads that each do a small thing like most web requests then the threads will definitely be be way heavier because just the overhead from being a thread compared to the overhead of of a fiber, the threads are just so much heavier that that will outweigh so and the fibers will will win. But if you have a solution where each sort of concurrent unit, whether it be a fiber or a thread, they each sort of allocate a gigabyte and then they do some sort of really intensive stuff with that. You know, then the overhead of the thread, you know, it's larger than a than a fiber, but it's not excessive. It's like probably not even a, a full megabyte or maybe a few megabytes, again, depending on your operating system. So in that case, allocating a, a gigabyte for business logic is going to way outweigh whatever you are uh, doing as your concurrency solution. Does that make sense? So uh, if your individual so. task is really big, then it doesn't the, the overhead from fibers or thread doesn't really matter. Anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty much what I was about to like try and summarize it as. Basically, it seems that fibers are a good match for web requests in general because there's a lot of waiting going on. Okay. But if if I'm if I have like a bunch of requests like processing PDFs, for example, I feel like that's a pretty common use case. It, it might not necessarily be as obviously better in that case, but I mean, we're not saying no. I'm just saying that, like, it, yeah, it sounds yeah. like it sounds like maybe it's not clear uh, that fibers are better in such workloads. At, at, in such workloads, it tends to sort of fall off. That is true. Cool. Uh, although I do think that, at least in in most of the things I've worked on, there's always been a, like a a mix of the sort of power law distribution of your request. That some of them are, you know, always quick. And some of them are always slow, and the rest of them is sort of somewhere in between. So, if you have a a service where everything is heavy, then yeah, it, you're probably not going to see a lot of benefits. But even for for things just like health checks or I don't know, surfing the homepage, stuff like that is uh, you know, there, there's always going to be some things that are going to be much quicker than the. I'm, really... I'm imagining some wins around slow queries things like that that's that's the one that sticks out to me as like being a good fiber win here uh yeah, if i have a website that has slow queries like that well that one that one can just like take its time or whatever but it won't be blocking other things anymore maybe um, yeah for sure yes yeah, slow queries is a really good one a slow yeah slow anything as long as someone else is doing it so slow api goals yes and slow database goals slow uh 
I think that's great. I'm I'm happy to get all my requests served and everyone else can go shove it. <laughs> I mean, it sound it almost sounds to me like at, at this point in time where we stand with this, you want to carefully select the use cases where you apply apply this pattern, right? Because we've talking about different characteristics of work workloads, whether they're CPU intensive or memory intensive. There's a lot of different variables and permutations there where one where one fiber could Im impact others and these are these are problems that over 40 or 50 years of computing whatever it's been that operating systems have figured out how to do pretty well right mm -hmm. because like you said at the beginning operating systems are general they deal with all kinds of scenarios they're battle tested and so they have to deal with this sharing of resources and in fact that's what I used the analogy earlier of containers. Containers, actually, the analogy does break down because containers use operating system controls to share or protect against the starvation problem to say this container process is only allowed to use this much resource or can only see this fi these file system resources, whatever the case may be. So in the case of fibers, we don't have, you know, it's still, I guess you could say earlier on in its life cycle, we don't have all of those guardrails. We don't probably have all of the lessons learned over many years of computing and operating systems applied to fiber. So it almost seems to me like at this point, it's a use with proceed with caution type of uh, pattern that if you have the, the slow query, if you have a service orchestration, if you have some of these well understood patterns, then that may be a good fit. And if you have, you know, widely varying characteristics of your workload, like you mentioned all over the board in terms of slow, fast, in between, lots of CPU, lots of memory, then maybe you want to be a little more cautious or go with the more established technology. That's kind of what it seems like to me at this point. You know, it would be sweet. I just like thought of this as you were talking. And obviously, you know, this is just somebody saying stuff. So please don't take me too seriously. Anybody that like actually like works on Rails core or something, but I'm like imagining it'd be kind of sweet, right? If in my controller, I could just be like, use fibers on this call, you, you know, use threads on this other call. That might be kind of cool. It that just, would be nice. It basically just kind of going off the fact that like, good point, right? Like certain use cases are going to be better. Some of my endpoints are going to be PDFs and I'm not really apparently going to want fibers, right? And some of them, I mean, there there are apps that do a lot of actual work. <laughs> in, in those cases, you know, you're not going to want to use fibers, but like other things, yeah, probably the general use case. sounds. I like, like that idea. It might be too late in the call chain to make that happen, but, but that, that would be, a, I imagine that would be, that's the API I want, whether it's possible or not, I don't know. <laughs> well, we're just at the requirements phase right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. We're not, we're not implementing this yet. <laughs> I'm the I'm the PM that everybody hates. That's just like it would be really sweet if I could have this. That's right. It's like you know, John. The code freeze is tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but it'd be really nice if we had this. Sorry, sorry to everybody that I just gave some sort of trauma to. I think here too, there's there's just a lot that we can sort of you know learn from from operating systems and and learn from from other languages that have. I have just some of my really good ideas and it would just be a shame if we didn't steal it. We're the rogues after all. The Ruby rogues. No, co um, copying is good. Yeah, copying is good. If it's yeah, a good absolutely. idea, why wouldn't you use it? Yeah. So here there, there are a lot of things where I think, for example, uh, Golang or uh, 
or Haskell just has ideas that, that we should definitely sort of, it also has downsides and I'm not an MRI expert. So maybe there's someone that will pipe in and say like, yeah, this is, uh, this is not going to work because, you know, these five reasons. I'm like, yeah, okay. But I do think there's for, ex especially like if you have uh, things like work stealing where uh, different threads can take fibers from each other. So that if one of them has a really long running fiber, uh, that the other ones can just say like I'm doing nothing. Why don't you give me some of your work? That would that would be a a huge benefit and sort of immediately solve basically half the problem. One of the things I really like about your blog post is the level of detail it goes into. Uh, it even includes some of the the MRIC code. So you must have gone into this in quite a lot of depth, yes. Is that, oh, is that the question? Yes. That, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the things I like about it. So you're not, not afraid to get into the actual MRI in, in implementation and kind of talk about the under the hood stuff. So I agree. I've getting into more with, I've been trying to get MRuby working. I'll talk about that during the picks. Uh, but I've been getting into my kind of C Ruby interface and it really is uh, fascinating to see how it works. It wouldn't be fair to not mention Sam Williams in the context of this episode. You, you mentioned him yourself in your, uh, in your blog post. Sam Williams, uh, otherwise known as, I think, Code Otaku. I think he's Code Otaku on the, on the Ruby list or IOQuotics. Yeah. He, he, he has a bunch of things. I think he's yeah. both, actually, Code Otaku and IOQuotics, something like that. But yeah, Samuel Williams is the, the author of the async framework and all the associated gems. So I have async, async DB, async HTTP, uh, a Falcon based on that. There's an async uh, fiber scheduler implementation. It's, it, and it basically all, all builds on each other. And yeah, he, he has done a ton of amazing uh, work. Mad props. And yeah, what, what, what you mentioned on, on the C code of the MRI implementation, he has uh, driven a lot of the implementation of the fiber scheduler. You can, you can see the, on the, the Ruby bug tracker, a lot of the stuff where this, this is hashed out and, and then Mats is like, oh, I like this, but can we do it a little bit more XYZ? And then, you know, there's just a lot of debate going forward to make it the best possible. And uh, actually, I would, I would recognize or uh, not recognize, sorry, not a native English speaker. I recommend that everyone has a has a look at the at the Ruby code. Just you know, it's all on GitHub. It's all open source, and yeah, it it's way more readable than they might think. And just knowing how it works a little bit under the hood can just make your your Ruby experience a lot better. Even if in your day job you you do nothing but make uh, rails controllers. It's definitely addition, recommended. In addition to uh, writing all the ASIC stuff, Sam Williams has also written Falcon, the the web server, I believe. That's a, that's another one of his projects. And he put a post on Twitter recently where he shows it running at six hundred and seventy three thousand requests, not per minute, but per second. Six hundred seventy three thousand requests per second, which is not bad, is it? It's not. It's not terrible. It's okay. John's shrugging. Darren's mocking. Da Darren's mocking that figure, thinking that's but a drop in the ocean of my requests. Uh, <laughs> Six hundred seventy-three thousand. Not bad as far as the request per second. No, I, I, I like it. I, I'm just. I was trying to translate it to my Bitcoin hashing. Sorry. Right. Yeah, you have no more time for Bitcoin hashing at that rate. Well, well, yeah, no, I, I, 
he he's done a ton of amazing job with uh, with Falcon. I think Falcon is also one of the you know the few Ruby web servers, apart from a few other ones that are also fiber based, that do a really good job at, at WebSocket. So apart from from these these insane request per second numbers, uh, he also has a, has a picture somewhere where he has like you know tens of thousands of WebSocket connections open on a single process, and it's just like wow. That that's something that you know you really struggle with with Puma or with Unicorn, but that's just something you get out of the box. And you know, web sockets, a lot of waiting, not a lot of computing. It's also one of the sweet spots for for fibers, really. I certainly would say that I'm very happy for how far Puma has gotten me, but I'm I'm very happy for the day that I get to pick something new. I hope that it's Falcon. Yeah, and I tend to, these days I must admit, I tend to block on the database more than the web server. I tend to hit the limits of the database way, way before I start throttling on the rest of the system. Blame that on my own uh, Postgres ineptitude or whatever else is going on. But certainly, I mean, go go back about seven or eight years, then Rails would usually top out on CPU memory before anything else. I haven't had that problem for a while. I've always blocked on database. Yes, it's it's really easy when you buy when you buy the RAM machines to, <laughs> to not have to worry about memory anymore. But yeah, no joke, jokes aside. Yeah, I feel like Rails has been a memory hog for like most of my career. But yeah, no, you know, you've been working. Be, Rails also just does a lot, right? It's uh, you. Everyone always says, like, yeah, Rails gives you everything for free, but, you know, it's actually not free. That's where all the memory goes. Well, yeah, I mean, to, to be <laughs> frank, like, <laughs> to be frank, the first thing that I do is I say, hmm, I wonder, I wonder, like, how many parallel requests I can get on this machine. Let me configure Puma and Passenger or whatever it is that I'm using to completely max out my RAM. So it, it's obviously I'm eating my own dog food here. But yes. Rails is a conspiracy started to sell memory. It's a, it's a, it's all a plot. DHH is in bed with big, big RAM. Yeah, this is in line with the. I cannot lie. This is in line with the the management saying that a any given task will take the time that is allocated to it, and so <laughs> this is applies to memory as well. Yes, it is. It is one thing that I I definitely feel like it's very important for the person that is sort of making the decision on how big the machine is to be separate from the person that configures said machine. Because, I mean, I don't know, I've been asked, like, how big a machine should be allocated. And I'm like, the bigger, I mean, if you give me a bigger machine, I'll use it. Like, that's how it works. (laughs) That's right. Cool. Anyone else have any questions? Did you have anything that we haven't gone over yet, Vander, that you feel like we should hit up, like that, that we just like missed out. You're just like upset that we ignored. Well, upset, definitely not. No, um, yeah, we did a pretty good overview of like everything that the fiber scheduler can, can sort of bring and, and will hopefully bring in the future. There's just one thing that I'm personally very excited about is that you see a lot of uh, operating systems they are starting to expose asynchronous system calls as well as right now the all non-blocking IO is is you try to do something to read or to write or to, to whatever. And then the operating will says like, whoa, no can do. And then you ask it, ah, can you please tell me when it is possible? And then you know, 
you got sleep. Sometime later, the operator will come back and say, ah, it's possible now. And then you have to try it again. What the hell? This is this is like three system calls for something where you can just tell the operating system, okay, please do this for me and come back when it's done. And this is, this is like a really asynchronous system call. Uh, that's something that uh, Linux is really working towards, the IOU ring interface which is uh, one of the coolest developments in, in Linux land that I've seen in the past few years. There's a, a lot of development going on there. And what I really like about the, the scheduler interface is that it's already sort of anticipating that. So it's already sort of making provisions for like, oh, when this becomes possible, then we want that to, to have automatic hooks as well. And I the other week I saw that Windows is... I'm going to have an interface called IO Ring. So they just dropped the U, but basically copied the rest of it, which is a great idea because it's a really good interface. And yeah, in, in, in this, I, I hope this spreads and becomes more common in all the, all the languages uh, because once again, it's just an improvement over, yeah, over the current state of things. You get more for less. And that's what, uh, what the trend of computing has been all about. And then one day, Windows will just be an interface that's running on top of Linux anyway, so it'll be fine. Any day now. Yeah, I'm still waiting. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All right, I think we're going to picks if, if that's it. Who shall I pick first? My picks. I'm going to pick Darren first. Darren, what are your picks? Okay. My pick for this week is part pick and a part an area to watch. So up until that's recently. Not, that's not allowed, I'm afraid. You can either have a pick or an area to watch. Uh-oh. The alarm bells are going off. Okay. We're going to call it a pick. Up until recently, there were only 16 different ways that you could run a container on AWS. And so the folks over there really felt that they needed a 17th way. And so they launched AWS App, App Runner. And it's pretty interesting. It's similar to like a Heroku, I think, or other type of technologies where you can take your, we'll say, Rails app or other apps and kind of package it up and easily run in a container on a managed infrastructure. So here's why I say that it's part area to watch. At this point in time, AppRunner only supports Node and Python. I'm anxiously looking forward to them adding Ruby support. So lobby your local rep if uh, you talk to them. But this is definitely an area to watch out for. I love, I'm a big fan of containers. I mentioned them earlier. I think Ruby, Rails, and containers go together like peas in a pod. So I think this will be definitely a technology to to keep an eye on going forward. Very nice. John, what are your tips? So Beanstalk 2.0, is that, is that what we're saying here? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, sweet. So it'll also be abandoned about two years after they finally get Ruby. Isn't that what Google likes... does? That's a Google thing, not an Amazon thing. No, Amazon. I mean... Beanstalk is a great example of Amazon also doing it. So hang on a second, guys. Sorry. I, I had a pick earlier and then I like left the page and I like completely forgot what its name was. Okay. So, you know, just recently, uh, first of all, I should say that I have, you know, over the course of my life, 
enjoyed many things that uh, Blizzard Entertainment has published. You know, they've published a number of games. You might be familiar yep, yep, with yep. StarCraft and and Diablo and, and WoW. That's probably the one that like most people can think of. So I'm not talking about any of those games, but there's this YouTube channel that back in the day, you might have actually seen this, the Carbot Animations. Uh, they just they make animations about about a number of things, but mostly about Blizzard, various Blizzard games. And they're just hilarious. Uh, and if you ever played any of the Blizzard games, you should absolutely, if you've never checked it out before, just go watch because you will you will just be like, oh, that was totally me. But anyway, I I watched them like, I don't know, four or five years ago, I think probably on something or other and then like just recently i just happened to see it pop up in my youtube feed and discover that they have published even more animations so i just recently had this renaissance where i went through like all of them over the course of a couple of weeks it's great highly recommend going to watch them very entertaining totally worth that's my that's my major pick for today that's my only pick actually that's very nice what am i gonna pick i'm going to pick what I picked last time. So last time I was going into some Ruby adventures with M Ruby, and I found a very interesting post on a dev blog by a man who was using M Ruby to sneak Ruby code into Windows to essentially make what looked like a Windows GUI app, but was actually a an M Ruby app. And I totally failed to get this to work and appealed for help. And because I never, ever, ever give up on especially pointless tasks, then I fixed it myself. So I'm going to pick my solution to my own problem that I mentioned in a previous uh, pick. Um, quite simply, you just have to kind of type in some commands and uh, change how things compiled using the Visual Studio compiler, and then everything will start to work. And you can put Ruby into Windows into places it probably shouldn't be. So there we go. That's my pick. I actually uh, happen to know of an application that, that is done in MRuby. And I only discovered it because I happened to get an error message one day. And I was like, wow, this is basically a Ruby backtrace. And yeah, anyway, so like uh, if you're familiar with the Civ franchise, just when I bought Civ 6, I, I don't remember exactly, but it came with like a companion game called like Sid Meier's Starships. It's apparently done in MRuby. At least a portion of it is. Is this is Sid Meier's Civilization Six? I think that's what I got it with. I, I don't remember exactly. It's either five or six, but I think it was six. And it came with like a companion game called Sid Meier's Starships, which is like a strategy kind of game or whatever. Oh, well, I guess Civ is also a strategy game, so it makes sense. But yeah, anyway, yeah, MRuby application. That's very cool. I, I'm I love, sure there I are others. Sid Pirates. That was my <laughs> favorite Sid Meier's Pirates game. Nice. Vanda, what are your picks? Do you have picks for us? Oh, I forgot to, to make any picks. I can definitely second uh, carpet animations because that's just amazing. Like I, I discovered them a few months ago and I just went through them all because like if you've ever played any of these games, it's just it's a very simple animation style, but it's like they're very short each, but they're just like, you know, this has happened to me in-game like a million times. And I'm like, Ah, damn, it, it, it just managed to condense it so well. Yeah, I was planning to, to uh, do more research into something called Copilot, which is, is uh, something I discovered uh, lately. And it's this, it's a language for, for Haskell, so, so Ruby is, but well recommended. And it compiles down to sort of 
ultra hard real time C that that is guaranteed to run in you know, your main loop in the same number of cycles and the same exact amount of bytes every single time. So if you absolutely must run, uh, you know, a starship or a nuclear power plant or something, then this is the the library you would use to generate code for that. And what I discovered was that someone wrote the backend for that that will create code for your Arduino. So I'm I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to control, but maybe like a barbecue or something. And I want like an absolute bulletproof uh, implementation of my barbecue control code. That's very nice. And if people want to read more of your work or contact you, where can they go? I have a, a blog and a personal website with my information on uh, wjw.eu, where you can find all my, my writings and musings and uh, contact info. So your blog for me appears to be wjwh.eu? I'm so glad you said that, John, because I was I was afraid to correct make that correction. I, I'm not and, trying to correct. Uh, I, I mean, for, I could be wrong. Did I forget my, uh, my own name? Yeah, no, uh, Okay, fair, okay, fair. cool. Well, maybe you had sorry, two sorry. domains. I don't know. <laughs> ah, I should maybe, just, just for every time I forget. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's lots of really great articles on there. Also, check out devchat.tv where... Chuck has a lot of new stuff going on. And until next time, I think that's that's it from us. So thank you very much, Vanda, and I uh, hope to hear from you again soon. Yeah, care, um, I had a great time and uh, all the best. I mean, it's evening over here, but uh, I, I understand some people just had lunch. And have a great day uh, with the rest of your day. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.